Thank you, Kaylin. That was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> I didn't know who was going to do that, but oh well, whatever. My name is Bob Johns. Uh, I have been a, a youth minister since uh, 1976. Can you believe that? 46 years doing youth ministry. Uh, and I feel blessed to be able to do that. Uh, kind of feel like I went where no man's gone before. Uh, to, to do youth ministry all up until all the way to the age of 70 is kind of pretty unprecedented. I haven't found anybody who's done that quite yet. There's some guys who've done it a long time. So it's a real blessing for me uh, to be able to retire. I retired on uh, August the 31st, and now I'm doing other things. Uh, not retired as a, as a minister, just retired as a youth pastor uh, and doing some other things. And so I'm so glad to be able to be here today at your church. Elijah asked me if I'd come. Elijah grew up in our ministry I knew him when he was a seventh grader. He was pretty squirrely. <laughs> Never got out of that. Um, but, uh, but I'll tell you one thing about early on in his life, he started really feeling called to youth ministry. And even though he went to Texas A&M, uh, <laughs> uh, he always pursued that and wanted to do that. And and I said, some church is going to be lucky to have him. Uh, we got to work one summer together. He had an intern for me one summer, and, man, he was a rock star. He was one of the best interns I ever had. He did such a great job that summer, worked so hard. And I could see that he really was going to be a good youth minister. And, uh, and so I'm excited about him being here, and I'm glad you guys have embraced him and, uh, and allowing him to do what his passion is. Passion for youth ministry is something I'll always pick over skills, looks, uh, charisma, whatever. I mean, because I have none of those things, okay? Um, but I always cared about kids greatly, and I know that Elijah does too, and that's what you want to look for more than anything and who works with your kids, someone who really loves kids and cares about kids. I was uh, at camp uh, about three years ago, maybe, and uh, during the night, uh, the guy who kind of checks around the camp at night to make sure everybody's in their place came to me and said, hey, I, I caught three of your kids out Side the cabin at about two o'clock in the morning, and hear their names. They were so stupid they gave them their names, <laughs> which is so dumb. But uh, so I went into our church gathering that morning. We had our high school kids in the chapel, and so I said, "Okay, got to talk." I know that some of you guys snuck out last night. I have your names, and I'm gonna give you a chance to fess up in front of everybody. Okay. And I mean, if you, if you don't stand up, you're gone. I'm sending you home because this is your chance to be honest about it. So I said, on the count of three, I want you to stand up. So I went, one, two, three, and 24 kids stood up. <laughs> so I marched them all outside and just chewed them out. How'd you know? I said, I can't tell you my secrets. I didn't know. I had three kids, but I caught 24 of them, okay? And that's just kind of, uh, it's just kind of funny because kids are awesome. They're, it can be really dumb, uh, but, they can, they, but they're just so awesome. And I love working with kids. Whenever I retired on the 31st of August, uh, my, some people graciously gave us their beach house. Uh, so for a couple of weeks, so my wife and I and some friends went down, and we just did the beach for two weeks. Two weeks of beach was pretty cool. never done that before. So it's kind of a way for me to get away from everything because I wasn't sure how it was going to be. And when I got back into Waco, I think the second week I was back in town, I subbed at the high school, which I've done for many years. I've, I sub occasionally because it gives me access to the campus. So I went on to the high school where most of our kids go. And, of course, the kids were excited to see me, and I was excited to see them. And I remember thinking, man, I miss kids. 
That sounds kind of creepy for a 70-year-old man to say, I miss kids, I know. But within the context, you know what I'm talking about because I've spent my whole life working with kids. I've always said all my friends are 13 to 18 years old. They've always been that way, okay? Because that's just the group I've always worked with. And, and so I care about them deeply and I have a great passion for them and I miss them. Because these younger generations uh, that, we, that we're talking about, uh, I really honestly think I've always felt like every generation I've worked with, as they were young people, as they were high, junior high and high school students, I've always felt like that this is the most important generation since the New Testament church. And I feel like that right now, even more so. This is the most important generation that's ever lived since the New Testament church. Why? Because this is the future of the church. What's happening with these kids? And man, I tell you what, they are really under a lot of pressure. I promise you, the culture is working hard, is working really hard to take away their innocence, uh, any sense of objective truth, uh, uh, a biblically-based moral compass of any kind, family loyalty. Uh, things are happening with these generations that have never happened before to this degree. It's always been around, but not to the level it is right now. And I tell you, it should be something that really should alarm us. There was a stat uh, that went around back when I first started, and, uh, and I felt called into youth ministry whenever I was in seminary. And a guy came and talked to me. I said, you can do youth ministry for a lifetime. I said, that's what I want to do. So I just felt that call and it never changed from it. And there was a stat that was around, and I'm not sure how reliable it is right now, but I bet it's pretty close. And it said that 85% of kids who don't come to Christ before they graduate from high school never will. Did you hear that? 85% of kids who don't come to Christ before they graduate from high school never will. And that just grabbed me, and I thought, this is where the action is. This is it. This is a chance. We've got to do something. These kids, we've got to reach these kids for Christ. Because there's a real good chance if we don't, then they never will ever encounter Christ. You know, Jesus talked about it. And Caleb read the passage, but I want to read it one more time with you. This is Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. And it says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He uses the expression little ones. Little ones. I like that. What does that mean? Uh, those who are innocent, those who are immature, uh, those who are still searching, those who are just maybe in, insignificant enough that we don't notice them. I think you can make a, make a real, uh, real, real uh, story about the fact that these little ones might be teenagers or at least preteens. Because within, within the context of the passage, he's talking about young people who have reached the age of accountability because they know what sin is. 
So I, I, I always see this kind of as a call from Christ for us to reach these youth, these little ones. And he says, they are worthy of our respect. That's the first thing he says. They are worthy of our respect. He says, do not despise one of these little ones. Do not despise one of these little ones. Do not despise. Do not look down upon. Do not uh, be critical of. Uh, do not be disrespectful toward. Do not put them in their place. One day, our uh, band was practicing for a Wednesday night program, and it was rock and roll. It was rock and roll. I love rock and roll. And, uh, and there was one of the middle-aged men in our church who was standing outside the youth room, and he had the door kind of cracked open. He was looking in there, and he was shaking his head like this. <laughs> I said, oh, boy, I know what that means. So I walked to him. I tried to just kind of just, hey, how's it going? Uh, you don't like that, do you? He said, no, I do not. And I said, well, it's a great way to reach kids with the gospel. He said, well, so are drugs. And I remember thinking, What? I didn't know how to respond to that, so I literally just did a 180, just walked away, because I said, if I respond, it's not going to be good. We'll probably end up in some kind of scuffle, okay? Uh, because it just was showing the, the lack of respect that he was showing for what we were trying to do, because in just a little while, that room was going to be filled with teenagers who were going to hear the gospel in a relevant way. So when Christ says, do not despise these little ones, he's saying, man, we need to understand they are important, and we have to do what it takes to really reach him with the gospel. Earlier in this passage, he actually says, by the way, woe to the one who would ever cause one of these little ones to stumble. He says, what will happen to them? If you call one of these little, cause one of these little ones to stumble, guess what will happen? It'd be better that a millstone were tied around your neck and you were dropped into the middle of the sea. Do not cause one of these little ones to stumble be better for you if a rock, a large stone, was tied around you and you were dropped in the sea and never to be seen again. That's a strong word, isn't it? It's a strong word. You know, here's the deal. You know, so often the church wants a youth ministry that's orderly and not messy. There's no holes in the sheetrock. We had a, in our youth room on the third floor, there used to be these stairways that the kids came up and down, and they would be going down the stairs after we were done. And over and over, they kept running into the sheetrock, and there was like body, the teenage-shaped body holes in the sheetrock. And, uh, and everybody's complaining about it, but our building maintenance guy just came in one day and just put up a big, gigantic piece of plywood, really thick plywood, painted it white. You couldn't even tell. And it was perfect because they just bump into it. It just bruised them up. They couldn't get through that wall that anymore. But I always loved, I always loved, oh, look, there's another teenage imprint in the wall uh, because they were so excited about being there. But sometimes churches said, we don't really want that. We want it to be orderly, not messy, you know. We don't want it to be too loud, you know. Uh, we don't want too many of that, those non-hymnal type songs that are too loud. Uh, we don't want that. Oswald Chambers talks about this. It's pretty interesting. He says, the love of Christ pays no attention to the distinctions made by natural individuality. The love of Christ pays no attention to the distinctions made by natural individuality. That's interesting, isn't it? Because what makes us distinct? You know, our age, what we wear, what we listen to, how we talk. Uh, you know, love of Christ doesn't care about that. 
In fact, he actually says, Chambers also says, in fact, to do so is to actually blaspheme the love of Christ. Ooh, that's heavy. They're worthy of our respect. Would you agree with that? They are, definitely. Number two, we must be willing to leave the comfort zone to find them. And then Christ gives this example. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? It's a great story. This little sheep that's gone astray, wandered off the pathway, has just been distracted and started following distractions. Wow. Is that our day we live in right now? These generations are, are in deep danger of literally being discipled by the culture. They're not being discipled by a discipler and by the gospel. They're being discipled by the culture. And the culture, by the way, is more than ready to teach them how to live their lives. That's what we find ourselves in right now. Social media, by far, is the biggest teacher. It's changed everything. I used to say that the more things change, the more they remain the same. And then social media kind of went, whoa, what was that all about? All of a sudden, it just changed everything at an even greater level. And what happens is it presents this exaggerated vision of life that exceeds reality. Mark Sayers in his book, Strange Days, calls it hyper-reality. It's a place where we scroll through images, kind of walking in a, almost like a zombie-like existence, looking for something, scrolling and scrolling. Teenagers and adults sometimes, just scrolling through the images, looking for something that might entertain you or stimulate you or even shock you. That becomes our teacher. That becomes our discipler. In the instinctive, instinctive way to connect with God through silence, solitude, meditation, reading scripture, prayer. Those just don't stand a chance because they're dulled by the flashing lights of pop culture. I tell you what, it's a trap. It's a trap, and we don't know how to get out of it, do we? We're all trapped. We don't know what to do. We just don't know what to do, and the results are not encouraging. Uh, a great book I read about three years ago called Faith for Exiles by Dave Kinneman and Mark Matlock. Uh, he, they surveyed uh, millennials and Gen Z, thousands of them that had grown up in the church. Okay, They had a church background. They interviewed them, and the results were this right here. They categorized them into four different categories, okay? Uh, 22% of those uh, 20s and 30-year-old young adults, what they call prodigals, are ex-Christians. Okay, that means that they were Christ, they were Christians, but now they are no longer. They've rejected it, okay? Okay, that's almost a fourth. 30% were called nomads, which means they're unchurched. Okay, they still claim to be a Christian, but that's not a part of their life. And they may go to church occasionally, but not often. There's nothing else there that would resemble what it means to be a Christian. 38% what they call habitual churchgoers. Okay, they go to church. Well, some go to church once, maybe twice a month, but that's it. That's all really that matters in their life as far as when it comes. They go to church, and that's it. Nothing else really affects it. 10%, one out of 10, 
what they call resilient disciples. One out of ten of the kids coming out of our churches, out of our youth ministries, children's ministries and youth ministries, are really disciples who are really trying to live the claims of, of Christ on their lives as disciples of Christ. Those are staggering numbers to me. They really are if you think about what's happening because uh, what happens is our kids go out of our, graduate from our church, they go off to college, and over and over again they leave the church, sometimes forever, sometimes just for a period of time, but they do. 70% of them actually will leave the church at least for a year or more. Kids who come out of our church. So what do we do? Well, I say we aim for the compassion of Christ. I'm going to look at another passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. Uh, these, this is a story about Christ, okay? And I love this story because I think it has a youth ministry distinction to it as well. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, when he saw the multitudes, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I like this passage. And one thing is because I love the compassion of Christ. His compassion here, it says he felt compassion for them. It's a long Greek word. And it's the only word, the Greek word for compassion is used here, is used for Christ. It's never used for anybody else, but it just defines the compassion of Christ. And I want to break it down for you real quickly, two-part definition. Number one, to wretch or to heave, okay? You can leave that verse back up there, thank you. Just put it back up. To wretch or to heave, okay? In other words, to see something that moves you, moves you, just moves you within. It makes you almost sick, okay? I remember back when I was in high school, they would take us into the theater and show us these defensive driving movies. Anybody ever see those things, you know, with the wrecks and carnage and blood? And there's a constant flow of people going to the bathroom because kids were getting sick at what they were seeing. They saw this, and it was making them just physically sick. So we're talking about the compassion of Christ. He would see the multitudes, and all of a sudden he would just be moved almost to the point of wanting to throw up. The second part of the definition is this right here, is to have a sense of urgency. To see something that makes you almost sick and a sense of seeing, I've got I to gotta do something about this. We have got to do something like this. It'd be like if you saw a child getting ready to step out into oncoming traffic, what would you do? You would do everything you could to grab that child, even risking injury yourself, to take them from danger. So this is the compassion of Christ. He sees something that moves him so deeply, he almost becomes sick, and he says, we've got to do something. There's a sense of urgency. Why? Because he saw them as harassed and helpless. The American Standard says distressed and dispirited. The message says confused and aimless. Harassed, distressed, troubled, mangled, um, a victim of plunder, maybe even rape. This, this is a strong word. We saw these, these, these multitudes as harassed and helpless, dispirited, downcast, to be thrown down so hard that they barely have the strength to get up. And he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. When I sub at the high school, 
the thing I always do is when the bell rings, I immediately step outside and I stand by the door of my classroom to watch the multitudes of kids walking by. Because that's a great example of multitudes, okay? Have you ever been in a high school hallway when the bell rings? It's crazy. Just these kids, just tons of kids walking. And as I stand and I watch them, I see, I see a lot of kids I know, which is cool. But then I see a lot of kids I don't know. And I see this, like, this inner bubble, you know, at Midway High School where Sarah went to. Uh, and when she was part of that bubble, there was a, these great kids who were involved in our churches and who were Christians and whose parents were involved. But then there was this bigger bunch of students that are just like, who are these kids? I mean, we literally, we literally take, this is high school, like 2,300 maybe. We take 10% of the senior class with us to camp every year. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's pretty cool. But guess what? There's 9%. I don't know what's going on with them. So we're just scratching the surface. So here's these multitudes of kids. I'm going, what are we going to do? You know what? If, if tomorrow morning Jesus, let, let me talk to the high school kids for a second. If Jesus showed up at your house, he said, hey, listen, I'm going to slip inside your body and I'm going to live your life for you today, okay? And so, so when you go to school, it's not you, it's Christ inside of you, okay? And you get there a little bit late, okay? And the first class is already going on, so you're just standing there. And all of a sudden, the bell rings, and those multitudes start coming by. What would, you, what would happen? Jesus, through your body, would see, oh, man, this is, this is, these kids have no hope. They have no one to take them. We've got to do something about it. You know, he would just get involved. That's, and that's really the way Christ is, obviously, by the way. His spirit inhabits you. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to see these multitudes as people who need to be reached. And as a church, we've got to say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to really reach these little ones? Because they have to be reached, and we have to leave our comfort zone to make that happen. And look what happens whenever the shepherd finds the lost sheep. Last point, rejoice. It says, and if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray, rejoices. Now, you got to understand, this shepherd went out looking for this sheep that's bleeding out somewhere on the mountain. He probably came back bruised and bleeding because he dug through the thickets and the bushes trying to find the sheep. But when he found it, he rejoiced. He was so excited. One year at camp, one of our guys helped lead one of his friends to Christ. I never forgot, forget what he said. He said, man... I really lived tonight. I thought that was such a cool way to put it. He just saw one of his friends come to Christ. He said, this is awesome. I really lived tonight. I really lived tonight. I was at a volleyball game one, one night watching volleyball, and one of the girls came by to say hi. I said, well, did you have a good day? He said, well, I had two tests. I said, well, what did you learn? I said, I learned I should start studying for tests. You know, and I, I think, what, what did we learn through this passage? Well, it's obvious Jesus cares deeply about the little ones. He wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to care about these little ones. We've got to do something to do that, and we have to have a sense of urgency 
about what's happening and what are we going to do to reach them. What are we going to do? We have to do something. We've got to do something. You know, this, uh, this calling to reach the little ones, these young people, you probably learned it whenever you learned your very first song in Sunday school as a small child. It's Jesus loves me, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Church, we have got to do what it takes to reach these little ones. The future of our church depends upon it.